0: 7 a.m. on the West Coast, 10 a.m. on the East Coast of America. Good morning, America. How are you? It's 3.30 in London in the afternoon, 7.30 in Mumbai, India, 11 p.m. in Kyoto, Japan, and in Malaysia, it's 1974. I'm Jay Sheldon, the guy without the pants. Welcome in. Hello, Facebook Live. YouTube, live, rumble.com, and of course, twitch.tv were live three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Saturday at 10 p.m. Malaysian time. And uh, I'm thinking about changing the name of the show. This show, since we first started back in the beginning of the pandemic, over two years ago, was called I'm Not Wearing Pants because it was a time when everybody was home. Everybody took their meetings exactly like you see me right now. Some people are still doing that. I am. And, you know, when we're seen from the waist up, why wear pants? Wear shorts, something comfortable, sweatpants, your underwear, your what your mother gave you, nothing. Uh, Anyway, so, you know, the pandemic is over. Everybody's pretty much back to their normal life. And I'm thinking does the name of this show even make sense anymore? I would we'll just change it to the Jay Sheldon show or something. Uh, so anyway, plus a lot of people will come and find the show because they think it's a sex show. I'm not wearing pants. And then they get here, they get disappointed. They don't subscribe. So, you know, since it is all about the subscribers. Um, <laughs> so we're thinking about it. If you have another idea for the show, email me, send me a PM, send me a message, no pants at it wouldn't be that difficult to change the name. I'll just switch up the logo, make a new one. We'll change the name on the podcast to, I don't know, whatever, the Jay Sheldon Show. Or do we leave it alone? Do we not screw with our brand? I'm not wearing pants. It's been out there for a long time now. So, But I'm thinking about it. I'm giving it some thought. Let me know what you think. All right. Uh, uh, let's see. We got a lot coming up tonight, including, of course, conspiracy theories. But... Not the angle on conspiracy theories, you might think. Uh, Yeah, you know, as usual, we find the weird articles on the net and we share them. We make some comments about them and some encouraging things, some nice things, some things that'll make you feel better about life. That's kind of what we do here. Uh, We also give you an update every time we go live about this little girl. Miko Update. Miko update. Miko is our little Shiba Inu and she is uh, she's doing very well. She's hanging out. As a matter of fact, just before we went live tonight, she came in and got some water from our uh, her bowl in the studio and uh, and then realized I was going live and went, nope, I'm out of here. So, yeah, she's gone. Uh, She did come in for just a minute before we started the show, though. She's doing very well. And thank you all for uh, for your inquiries and questions and PMs about, about little old Miko. She's doing good. Coming up also later in the show, it's Sir Arthur Cannon Doyle's Sherlock Holmes, The Adventures of. We will be reading uh, the end of the uh, first adventure in Sherlock Holmes. We'll be wrapping that up and moving on to the next one in our next stream. Uh, quite a few of the adventures of uh, Sherlock Holmes and quite cool. So if you're into the classics, that's the last thing we do on our show. We uh, we spend the last 15 or 20 minutes reading a part of a classic book till we get through to the end. Then we start another one. So that's what it's all about. That and a bunch of crap like this. Why are there conspiracy theories? Aliens, nine eleven? January 6th, you name it, they're out there. Did we land on the moon? That's a big one. Been around for years. The psychology of fake news. This is a really, really good article. And I can't encourage you enough to check it out. It's from BigThink.com. We've been finding a lot of cool stuff over there. But uh, this one is quite cool. Yeah, JFK, that's another one. Stolen elections, phony pandemics, faked moon landings, lizard people, and it's not just Americans who love a good conspiracy theory. It seems to be a trait shared by humans across the planet. Curious paradox in the age of information, when all of our acquired knowledge is available at the click of a button or the tap of a screen, that we choose to believe lies and fictions rather than truth and facts. Why is that? Well, the answer involves a combination of psychology, widespread distrust, and Lord knows they've earned our distrust because they've just been caught blatantly lying to us. You know, a lot of the stuff that just a year or two or three or five or ten years ago were conspiracy theories sadly have been proven to not be theories, but be true. It happens time and time again. We're running out of conspiracy theories because they're turning out to be true. Uh, anyway, widespread distrust and uh, malevolent I, I, actors. Uh, propaganda has existed since humans were able to speak and write. But now those lies can circle the globe literally in seconds. And uh, they tackle one of the hardest problems facing the world today. How do... To, Inform a public that actually kind of prefers to be misinformed. It's a struggle, struggle that's eternal because a part of our genetic makeup is all about that. Seriously, there's even a name for this superstition. It's called how do you say that? pareidolia, pareidolia. uh It's the idea that when you look at the sky. You see things that aren't there. Recently, the Notre Dame Cathedral partly burned down. And sure enough, somebody said, I see Jesus Christ there. I saw the picture. Maybe you did too. It really did look like Jesus Christ. But it was the ashes of Notre Dame. And how many times do people see the Virgin Mary in a glass of tea? So we are hardwired to see these things that aren't there because, for the most part, they're harmless. And once in a while, it staves our, saves our butt, actually. Uh, that's why this writer thinks that we will have flat earthers. We will have the people who don't like vaccinations because hearsay through human history was a dominant form of information sharing. Uh, again, they've got different viewpoints from different people, including that idiot Bill Nye, the science guy. I'm (coughs) excuse me. I don't have a cough button and that was me sneezing. So there you go. (laughs) Uh, they've got a bunch of opinions about this question and those are the interesting parts of the article. Check them out. When you go to the link in our show notes, it's in the top of the show notes tonight. And, uh, it's from bigthink.com. And, uh, different viewpoints. I've been messing around with this kind of cognitive dissonance, thinking about reptoids controlling our government. What the skeptical movement has developed is a set of tools like the baloney detection kit. There are some conspiracy theories that are, as I said, have been now proven not to be theories. Uh, If you've seen the movie 2000 mules you'll also know what i'm talking about and if you haven't and you're in america i highly encourage you to find an outlet to watch 2000 mules it will change your mind about exactly what happened in the stolen 2020 elections am i going to get banned for that i sure the hell hope so all right uh some of the things that people see may not be a conspiracy like Do you believe in little people? Not leprechauns. Come on. Well, maybe. But uh, little, tiny, humanoid beings that up to 30 witnesses have actually seen. This is from futurism.com. The link is in our show notes, and it is cool. And it's very close to where I live now in Malaysia. Scientists say there may be a species of hobbit-like humanoids hiding on an island. This is so cool. You've no doubt heard about this before, because they've found uh, bones, skeletons, and tested them before. But it is believed that these little hobbit-like humanoids still live and still exist hidden away in the jungles. These include reported sightings by more than 30 witnesses. Indeed, it has been nearly 20 years since the bones of a hobbit-like humanoid species were found on the Indonesian island of Flores. And according to one researcher, there may be more than just ancient bones. In an essay for the Science Magazine, retired ethnobiologist Gregory Forth describes what he believes are Homo floresciensis? Anyway, as they were called by the famous late anthropologist Mike Morwood, he found the Pleistocene-era bones on Flores in 2004, and they believe they may still be alive and doing well living hidden in the forests on the island. Uh, Morewood's discovery rocked the scientific world when he first reported his findings. And in his words, it was tantamount to the discovery of a space alien. The human species, dubbed the Hobbit by pop culture, was presumed to be extinct. But as forth details in his forthcoming book, Between Ape and Human, a local tribe called Liao, L-I-O, have, been described, uh, have described encounters with a diminutive small creature which he believes may be one and the same as these hobbit people. And my aim in writing the book was to find the best explanation, that is, the most rational and empirically best supported, of Liao accounts of the creatures. Forthroat, these include reports of sightings by more than 30 eyewitnesses. These, uh, okay, all of whom I spoke with directly, the author says. I conclude the best way to explain it is that they told me this is a non-sapien hominid having survived on uh, Flores to the present or very recent times. Man, can you imagine if they actually explored and discovered that? And maybe they shouldn't, because if they've survived all this time, and if indeed they are still alive and still living, and there's an active colony of some sort somewhere, our approaching and finding them might just be the end of them. You know, we bring all kinds of germs and diseases to people who have developed other systems for dealing with that. But um, it's an amazing story. It's absolutely incredible. The link is in our show notes. It's from futurism.com. And like I said... Uh, This island of Flores, I don't know exactly, I didn't look it up, I should have. Uh, It is uh, in Indonesia, and it's just really not that far away from where I am in Malaysia. In fact, there was word that this sort of uh, creature, shall we call it, uh, may have been living on the island of Borneo, half of, almost half of which is owned by Malaysia. So there you go. Well, something that was found on Borneo that kind of relates to ancient history has suddenly crushed the record for the oldest known figurative art. Check this out. A discovery in a Borneo cave. This is just May 17th, this was posted. And uh, there's a lot of ads in this article, so be prepared. But humanity's artistic heritage... Just got a brand new historical milestone, a cave wall deep in the forest in the island of Borneo, which I was just describing to you. Uh, Archaeologists have just confirmed that a depiction of some sort of cow is the world's oldest known form of figurative art. It dates, now get this, it dates between 40,000 and 52,000 years ago during the Upper Paleolithic and Last Ice Age, at least 5,000 years older than the previous record holder for uh, figurative cave painting from the nearby Indonesian island of Sulawesi. It's uh, been known since the 1900s that the caves of East Kalimantan on Borneo contain a large number of ancient paintings, but they were thought to be relatively young, about 10,000 years old. But this archaeologist from the Griffin University in Australia, who has previously determined the age of nearby Sulawesi cave arts, has turned to radiometric dating to find out for sure. This actually, it's a little difficult to see, but that's actually the picture. You can see kind of the legs here and the body. If you're listening on the podcast, just check out the link in our show notes. There's the Those are hands. Very weird. He tested not just the cattle paintings, likely a species of wild cattle that were called bantangs, but also the myriad of hand silhouettes scattered all over the cave. There you see where they put their hand on the cave wall and then spit or threw or blew the paint at it. Those are actually the hands of the artists. That's, abso- that's so amazing. And they believe this panel is at least now 40,000 years old absolutely incredible more details and a video of the borneo cave in the link which i encourage you to go check out and uh, read the whole article there it's from uh actually it's it's a weird link it's m.en 24 news just all or all.com anyway you don't need to know all that it's the link is in the show notes you click on it, it takes you away and there you go very very cool stuff and again kind of from a neighbor. (laughs) A neighbor who is not particularly annoying, which is a really bad attempt at a segue because there is a neighbor uh, to the west of us here in Malaysia who has taken one of Malaysia's favorite foods and caused a bit of a stir. Everybody eats Maggie. People in the U.S. eat what I think they're mostly, they're referred to as ramen noodles. You know, they're all hard and crunchy in the package with the flavor packs, and you put them in boiling water, you let them sit for two, three minutes, you take them out, drain it, put the flavoring in. Some people leave a little soup behind, depends on the kind of, you know. Maggie is a brand, actually. It's a huge brand, one of the biggest brands of ramen noodles we have here in Malaysia, but we've got a million different brands. But uh, people do all kinds of weird things. There's even, it's funny because we have some here at the house. There's even a snack food made from, I don't know how they do it, but it's kind of a crunchy flavored raw ramen noodle, Maggie. Uh, You just just basically break it up and eat it. It's crunchy. It's like eating uncooked noodles, which sounds kind of weird, but It's not so bad if you're desperate for a snack and it's all you have laying around the house. Uh, So people have tried to do different things with Maggie. There's all kinds of weird things out there. And, you know, why not? I am all for experimenting. One of my favorite things to do when I'm not sure what to eat is to do whatever's in the kitchen meal. You go in, you check the fridge, you check the freezer, you look at the shelves, you see what you got in your cans. And you just get creative. You forget all the rules, throw the rule book and the cookbooks out and just make stuff from what you have. I love doing that. And I have come up with some really cool food that way. Some ways, some you can't really you know, duplicate because it's such a strange combination of stuff. But I'm all for people trying new things, trying stuff that may or may not work out, but you tried, you tried stuff. It's good to try stuff. This woman in Mumbai, in India, sells Maggie cooked in mango juice. Yeah, I know. At first thought, I did the same thing. I went, what? And not only cooked in mango juice, but after she cooks it, she chops up some mango, fresh mango slices, and sticks that on top. Well, as usual these days, nobody can do anything that somebody doesn't have a complaint about it. I'm surprised it doesn't file a police report. Seriously, we file a police report over hangnails in this country. It is no wonder the police have no time to do any real police work. They're too busy following up on your idiot police reports. So anyway, people are complaining about it. You know what? Shut up and sit down. She's trying something. And honestly, when you think about it, think about it. This doesn't sound too bad. Woman in Mumbai. This is from World of Buzz. Links in the show notes. Uh, sells Maggie cooked in mango juice and fruit on it. Netizens show disgust. There's actually a picture of her. She's got the uh, the Maggie me in the uh, wok there. She's dumping in the mango juice, and there it is. Almost at, I guess at the end of the cooking uh, prep, preparing. She's got some sliced up mango on there. Maggie Instant Noodles, comfort food to a lot of people across the world, says the article. Throughout the years, we've seen some pretty strange combinations done with Maggie, like adding Milo to it, which is disgusting. I mean, Milo's disgusting anyway. I know I am creating a sacrament against the gods by saying that I hate Milo, but I do. It's basically chocolate water, and chocolate is not meant to be mixed in water. It's freaking gross. You've just been sold a bill of goods. And by the way, whatever they pump into it doesn't make it any better for you. It's still crap chocolate water. It's disgusting. But anyway, people have actually put their Maggie and Milo. Yeah. You know, you do you. Knock yourselves out. But no thank you. However, we recently stumbled across one that needed to get your opinion on. Well, you know what, World of Buzz? Here's my opinion. Go for it. It doesn't sound half bad. I might even try it myself. A video shared by the Great Indian Foodie on Instagram and Facebook features a woman selling food by the roadside in Mumbai, India. The food she cooked left world abuzz with mixed feelings because the Maggi was cooked in mango juice and later topped off with fresh Maggi. There you go. There's a shot and there's an ad for whoever. (laughs) In the video, we see uh, she starts cooking by using some kind of oil. Later on, adds masala seasoning in. Ooh, that's nice. Now you got me. The flavor of the mango with masala? Hmm. After that, she adds water-dried noodles, and then uh, when the noodles get soft, she adds a lot of mango juice into it. She then separates the portion, serves it on a plate by cutting up a mango and adding that on top of the maggie. Netizens were disgusted. After seeing the whole video, we're really unsure what to feel, says World of Buzz. Same goes for netizens. A user called it a total waste of food. Another asked for the location so someone can reach over and offer, offer counseling. <laughs> oh, man. Seriously, I can't get... That option for this oh a, a thumbs down option, uh, totally waste of food. Why so? Somebody said e, with a bunch of gross faces. God, find me another planet. Anyway, it appears due to the bombardment of negative comments, the page has issued a warning against netizens who spread hatred towards the page. But uh, there's a video too there on the on the uh, link. You can check it out. Uh, you know what? I really am. I'm going to grab me some mango. I'm going to get me some Maggie and I'm going to make this. We'll do it on the show. We won't make it on the show because I can't get my cameras in my kitchen. But uh, we'll bring it. We'll make it. We'll bring it up on the show. And I won't try it until I, until I get here on the show live. And, and we'll see. We'll see how it is. We'll check it out. Uh, yeah, I like that idea. We'll do that. On, let's see. This is Wednesday. So our next show is coming up on, uh, on Saturday. We will definitely do that. It's a very cool idea. We'll check it out. We'll make some mango Maggie. (laughs) Why not? Why not? We do weird stuff on this show. That's what it's all about. All right. We also say hello and tip the hat to people who do the right thing. People who do random acts of goodness and kindness. And I saw this article. In the Malay Mail, the link is in our show notes, and I had to share it with you because it's a small thing, but as I always say, these small things are what make a difference. they're what make us human. they're what make humanity humanity they're they're what they're what we're supposed to be here for is helping each other out. You hear so many bad stories that I make it a part of this show at least one article every show that shows the goodness in people so we don't give up hope. And there's a lot of reasons in the headlines every single day and on your Facebook and Twitter feed. There's a whole lot of reasons to just give up and say, that's it, humanity's lost. But I don't believe that. I believe there is enough goodness in the world that we'll get through it. Simple story. But a brilliant one, a Perak man—that's a state here in Malaysia—helped an elderly couple that were left behind by the bus at an IPO R and It's like a side of the road rest stop in IPO, which is another uh, state in Malaysia. They tried walking down the highway. Not a good idea anyway. Very dangerous. But this elderly couple had missed the bus and apparently thought they had no choice. They had to walk. And this guy stopped by. There he is. There's the couple. And there's the guy. And really, a huge round of applause to this guy who saw them, who was concerned enough, and stopped and gave them a ride. A kind Perak man applauded online for helping an elderly couple ride after they were left behind by their bus. Uh, wow. Mohammed Hafez Sabri shared a photo on Facebook yesterday of him and the elderly couple inside his car, and a, reca- a recap of what had happened. The Perak Pass youth, uh, youth chief said that he first met the couple at a stop near the Ipo Toll Plaza. Uh, He'd stopped to perform his prayers when he came across the couple looking troubled. Noticed the auntie and the uncle were restless. They were searching for something. And it occurred to me to ask them what was wrong, but I'm afraid that it could just be my assumption and they might have personal issues. So he just went in, performed his prayers, tried searching for the auntie and uncle again, but they were no longer there. So figured they must be back on the road already, Hafiz wrote. Um, To his surprise... As he drove down the highway, he came across the elderly couple again, walking along the highway. Turns out they'd missed the bus when they stopped at the Ipo Toll Plaza. Uh, they went off to perform their prayers. Really shouldn't be happening. The bus driver and their assistant should make sure all the passengers are aboard, of course, before they continue on. So asked their permission to send and catch up to the bus. But uh, we made it on time because their bus had made another stop in Amanjaya, in uh, Meru, Ipo, And so sent them immediately there, adding the couple later managed to get back on board the bus. Congratulations, and again, an amazing job by this guy, Hafiz Sabri, congratulations, man. Tip of the hat. You're doing the right thing. It's uh, like I said, it just takes one simple little act of kindness, and it makes a difference in people's lives. And we thank you for those of you out there who uh, who do those sort of things. Ruh-roh. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, all right. I think we might have lost our YouTube feed, didn't we? Nah, I think we're okay. All right, there we go. Let me just get back over here. Let me tidy up a little bit of our business here. And, oh, it's time! (laughs) All right, yeah, we did lose our YouTube feed for just a second, but we're back now, so that's good. All right, time to move on to our book. As you know, we're reading The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes by Sir Arthur Cannon Doyle. And we are on uh, Section 3, the final section of this uh, bohemian adventure, the very first story in uh, Sir Doyle's... Sherlock Holmes' book. They're about to get the picture back. Here we go. Part three. I slept at Baker Street that night. We were engaged upon our toast and coffee in the morning when the King of Bohemia rushed into the room. You have really got it, he cried, grasping Sherlock Holmes by either shoulder and looking eagerly into his face. Not yet. But you have hopes, I have hopes. Then come, I'm all impatient and be gone. We must have a cab. No, my Brogham is waiting. Uh, Then that will simplify matters. So we descended, started off once more for Bryony Lodge. Irene Adler is married, remarked Holmes. Married? When? Yesterday. But to whom? To an English lawyer named Norton. She could not love him. I am in hopes she does. And why in hopes? Well, because it would spare your majesty all fear of future annoyance. If the lady loves her husband, she does not love your majesty. And if she does not love your majesty, there is no reason why she should interfere with your majesty's plan. It is true, and yet, well, I wish she'd been of my own station. What a queen she would have made. We relapsed into a moody silence, but not broken until we drew up in Serpentine Avenue. The door of Briony Lodge was open, and an elderly woman stood upon the steps. She watched us with a sardonic eye as we stepped from the broken. Mr. Sherlock Holmes, I believe, said she. I am Holmes, answered my companion, looking at her with a "'questioning and rather startled gaze. "'Indeed, my mistress told me that you were likely to call. "'She left this morning with her husband "'by the 515 train from Charing Cross for the Continent. "'What?' "'Sherlock Holmes staggered back, "'white with chagrin and surprise. "'Do you mean she left England never to return?' "'And the papers?' asked the king hoarsely. "'All is lost. We shall see.' And he pushed past the servant and rushed into the drawing-room, followed by the king and myself. The furniture was scattered about in every direction, with dismantled shelves and open drawers, as if the lady had hurriedly ransacked them before her flight. Holmes pushed at the bell-pull, tore back a small sliding shutter— and, plunging in his hand, pulled out a photograph and a letter. The photograph was of Irene Adler herself, in evening dress. The letter was subscribed to Sherlock Holmes Esquire. To be left till called for. My friend tore it open, and we all three read it together. It was dated at midnight of the preceding night, and ran this way. My dear Mr. Sherlock Holmes, you really did it very well. You took me in completely. Until after the alarm of fire, I had not a suspicion. But then, when I found how I had betrayed myself, I began to think. I'd been warned against you months ago. I had been told that if the king employed an agent, it would certainly be you. And your address had been given me, yet with all this, you made me reveal what you wanted to know. Even after I became suspicious, I found it hard to think evil of such a dear, kind old clergyman. But, you know, I have been trained as an actress myself. Male costume is nothing new to me. I often take advantage of the freedom which it gives. I sent John the coachman to watch you, ran upstairs, got into my walking clothes, as I called them, and came down just as you departed. Well, I followed you to your door, and so made sure that I really was an object of interest to the celebrated Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Then I, rather imprudently, wished you good night and started for the Temple to see my husband. We both thought the best resource was flight, when pursued by so formidable an antagonist. So you will find the nest empty when you call tomorrow. As to the photograph, your client may rest in peace. I love and am loved by a better man than he. The king may do what he will without hindrance from one whom he has cruelly wronged. I keep it only to safeguard myself and to preserve a weapon which will always secure me from any steps which he might take in the future. I leave a photograph which he might care to possess, and I remain, dear Sherlock Holmes, very truly yours. Irene Norton, NEE Adler. "'What a woman!' Oh, what a woman, cried the king of Bohemia, when we had all read the epistle. Did I not tell you how quick and resolute she was? Would she not have made an admirable queen? It is not a pity that she was not on my level. From what I have seen of the lady, she seems indeed to be on a very different level to your majesty, said Holmes coldly. I am sorry that I have not been able to bring your majesty's business to a more successful conclusion. On the contrary, my dear sir, cried the king, nothing could have been more successful. I know that her word is inviolate. The photograph is now as safe as if it were on fire. I am glad to hear your majesty say so. I am immensely indebted to you. Pray tell me what I can reward you. This ring, he slept an, slipped an emerald snake ring from his finger and held it out upon the palm of his hand. Your majesty has something which I should value even more highly, said Holmes. You have but to name it. This photograph. The king stared at him in amazement. Irene's photograph, he cried. Certainly, if you wish it, I thank your majesty. And then there was no more to be done in the matter. I have the honor to wish you a very good morning. He bowed, and turning away without observing the hand which the king had stretched out to him, he set off in my company for his chambers. And that was how a great scandal threatened to affect the kingdom of Bohemia, and how the best plans of Mr. Sherlock Holmes were beaten by a woman's wit. He used to make merry over the cleverness of a woman, but I have not heard him do that of late. And when he speaks of Irene Adler or when he refers to her photograph, it is always under the honorable title of The Woman. (laughs) And that's The Scandal in Bohemia. Coming up, we'll head on to Adventure 2, The Red-Headed League, in our next show coming up on Saturday night. And we'll also be cooking mango maggie, so don't miss that. Well, Well, we'll be eating mango maggie. We'll see what happens. Hey, we're a little early, kind of short tonight, but that's okay. Once in a while that happens, no big deal. I, uh, I'll i see you again on Saturday night, 10 o'clock Malaysian time. Thank you for all your likes and subscribes, especially Facebook and Rumble. Just hit that subscribe button, wherever it may be, or follow. And, of course, if you have half a chance, head over to Apple or Spotify, Google, all your podcast platforms and check out our show. It's the audio part of our show. You can take us with you wherever you are. Add us to your uh, follows over there. Just search for I'm Not Wearing Pants or Jay Sheldon. Look for that logo. Click on the logo, click follow or subscribe, and you're good to go. We really appreciate it. It costs nothing. It's all free, and it helps us out a lot. We'll see you again Saturday night. Till then, I'm the guy without the pants, Jay Sheldon. Good night.